Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hurricane Ida just plowed through the energy capital of the United States. Today on Parts Per Billion, we look at what this means for the petroleum industry along the Gulf Coast, and also for the millions of people in the region right now without electricity. Hello and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. Hurricane Ida made landfall this weekend southwest of New Orleans, bringing with it winds in excess of 70 miles per hour and around a dozen and a half inches of rain. This part of the country is the beating heart of the country's petroleum industry. It's where most of the crude oil in the country goes to get turned into, well, not crude things, of which you'll hear about in just a minute. So what happens when an area that's crucial to the country's energy industry gets a direct hit from a hurricane? And also, what's happening to the people who live in the region and, as of the recording of this podcast on Wednesday afternoon, have more immediate energy needs, i.e. just getting the power restored to their homes and businesses? To find out, we're going to hear from two Bloomberg News Energy reporters. In a bit, Josh Saul will tell us about the state of the power grid along the Gulf Coast. But first, we're going to hear from Kevin Crowley, a Bloomberg reporter based in Houston. He's been reporting on how the hurricane is affecting the Gulf Coast industrial energy infrastructure, and there's a lot of it. He started off by talking about petrochemicals and explaining just how much of this industry is concentrated in this small area. Petrochemicals has actually become a big, big export business for the for the U.S. in the last ten years or so, due to the uh, due to the shale shale boom. Petrochemicals generally um, they take in taking natural gas liquids like ethane, and they produce. Um, chemicals that become the feedstocks for plastics that we see um, every day in everyday consumer goods and packaging. I see. So these these are probably chemicals that most consumers wouldn't recognize, but they're chemicals that go into the plastics that we all use every day. That's right. That's right. Polyethylene, polypropylene, they're using everything from shampoo bottles to water pipes to car seats, chlorine. Uh, PVC is a big one. The U.S. has become a big exporter of PVC, which is used in uh, window frames. It's using water pipes. So it's a big, big material in a house building, which has obviously been in huge demand this year um, as, the, as the housing sector has really uh, has really taken off. And um, Alice we spoke to said it's that chlorine and and PVC manufacturing that was really in the um, in the storm's path here. So um, when we do the market reaction in the coming days, we're likely to see it in in, in those markets, chlorine and PVC. There had also been actually a shortage of chlorine uh, this summer for swimming pools. 
Um, so uh, we're likely to see those shortages um, exacerbated due to the storm. Mm, wow. Um, so, you know, a lot of these chemicals are either somewhat hazardous or very hazardous, uh, you know, on their own and would be uh, it would be not good if they got out into the water or into the air. What are these plants doing to make sure that, you know, when this storm came through that it didn't cause uh, any emissions that uh, could be dangerous? So, so, so when the when the storm is coming, um, the, the operators they tend to, tend to wait until they know for certain the uh, the storm's path. You know, a small wobble in the in the direction can make a huge, huge difference um, to whether whether they're going to be affected or not. But uh, once they know that they're going to be in the, in the storm's path, generally they take they shut things down. Um, uh, shutting down these big refineries and petrochemical plants is no easy task. You know they operate at enormously high pressure because these these are facilities which basically break down hydrocarbons into into more useful products. They operate at extremely high pressure, so it's it's very important to reduce that pressure um, so that if they do get a direct hit, we don't have a huge uh, explosions. Uh, to do that though, does require them to release a lot a lot of gas in particular. So there's a lot of flaring and there's a lot of emissions each time you. Uh, um, you you shut one of these plants, and then also when you start them up again. So so inevitably there will be huge emissions into the uh, into the into the atmosphere. They t- tend to try and do this in a safe way through flaring, which means you're burning off as much of the uh, the gases as you can, as opposed to just just simply releasing them. But there is a big environmental impact. Um, what has happened in the past is that when there's been flooding, um, sometimes you have had uncontrolled leaks. Like like during Hurricane Harvey, and those can be extremely dangerous to the um, surrounding communities and uh, the environment. Right. Well, let's talk about uh, Hurricane Harvey here. Um, you know, there was a an uncontrolled leak, as you mentioned, at an Arkema plant in Texas, uh, where Hurricane Harvey hit four years ago. Uh, are we hearing any indications that we're at risk for that uh, in the uh, uh, in Louisiana area, uh, or that something like that is is already happened or is underway? So thankfully not. Um, we, we, we haven't we haven't heard any reports of um, of any of any leaks so far. Um, and primarily, it seems to be more of a wind event than a flooding event, which is better really. So far, anyway, and it's still it's still very very early days. We're not seeing any any examples of uh, of major leaks at this um, at this point. Um, we'll say though one 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 major refinery and petrochemical plant um, that has sustained damage is Shell's uh, Norco operations, which is uh, just outside New New Orleans. Pictures have shown pools of standing water and uh, substantial releases of black colored smoke from its from its flare stacks, um, and they uh, they have confirmed that. Been some some damage, and they have not given a time frame for a uh, a restart. But um, certainly, we're not we're not hearing any any reports of any of any major environmental disasters as we uh, as we've seen in the past. Mm, well, uh, that's good. But we should uh, you know sounds like we should keep an eye on that shell plant. Um, let's also move to the oil and gas industry because petrochemicals aren't the only things that are manufactured uh, in this area. We also have. Oil refining, which is, you know, taking crude oil and turning it into fuel. Uh, And we also have a lot of pipelines which send that fuel to where it's needed. Um, How is that uh, holding up? So, so about ten percent of of the country's uh, refining um, capacity was was in the path of the storm and shut down um, uh, preemptively. Now the uh, the operators are, are assessing the damage and wondering when when to when to restart. 
Um, there's there's been uh, Port Port Fushon, which is a um, it's an onshore um, base that services oil and gas production in the Gulf of Mexico. That was just right on the coast, and that and that basically was it, it took a direct hit. There's been severe damage there. Um, that so that's going to take weeks to recover. And uh, there's also the, uh, the the Louisiana offshore oil port, which receives crude in from the Gulf of Mexico, handles about 15% of the country's uh, crude. That's also in the same in the same areas. Uh, and finally, let's sort of step back from the very very immediate term and talk about the long term. Um, you know, as we pretty much all know at this point, uh, due to climate change, hurricanes are going to become more powerful. Is there talk of making the uh, oil and gas industry in this area more resilient to withstand those more powerful hurricanes or, you know, maybe changing the procedures for shutting down to make it, you know, less difficult to shut down when uh, the a plant or a factory needs to? It's certainly it's certainly top of mind of uh, of everyone who works in in the industry across the across the Gulf Coast, with both Texas, Texas and Louisiana. Um, I mean, every every summer, I mean, hurricane season is nearly is nearly half uh, half the year these days. So uh, it's, uh, it's certainly some something that something that people think about a lot. Um, certainly, new new facilities that are being are being built, like new oil platforms in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, um, new expand expansions to refineries, um, new infrastructure around. It's it's much much easier to build that kind of um, resilience to storms um, into the plans when you're when you're building new um, infrastructure. Um, older infrastructure, it's much more costly and difficult to uh, to update. So there's always that there's always that that issue at what at what cost. Um, but um, certainly, certainly over the last over the last five five years or so, the industry has become extremely uh, well practiced in, uh, in in evacuations and uh, shutdowns. That's I was going to say that's kind of a, a glass uh, half full way of putting it uh, that they are very good at evacuations and emergency procedures. Exactly, yeah, and uh, and especially especially with the offshore platforms where where these things are sitting ducks. Really, the uh, oil operators tell us that early decision making is critical. They evacuate. Um, all non-essential uh, personnel kind of as quick as quickly as possible when they know it's going to be in the in the storm's path um, to make sure that uh, the people are, people are safe. And uh, thankfully, we haven't we haven't heard any reports of, of any of any deaths uh, from um, workers for um, at least as long as I've been covering been covering the industry here. So um, they've certainly become become uh, become well practiced um, and good at uh, looking looking after people for sure. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business 
at thehartford.com. That was Bloomberg News' Kevin Crowley speaking to us from Houston, Texas. Now we turn to Josh Saul, a reporter who covers climate and natural disasters from New York. Josh talked about the situation on the ground right now. Hurricane Ida uh, did a real number on the region. Um, we have about a about just over a million customers uh, without power. Um, and one thing to remember is that customer means uh, just a home or a business. So, um, you know, if you imagine a family of four, the actual number of people who are sweating in the dark heat right now, it, it's a lot higher than a million. Yeah. And is this comparable to other uh, hurricanes that have come through this area, either, uh, you know, Katrina or, you know, hurricanes that have happened since then? One thing I've learned is that uh, every hurricane is different. So while Hurricane Katrina was extremely damaging um, and deadly uh, with around 1,800 people uh, losing their lives, um, Hurricane Katrina was really all about the storm surge and the way that the levees failed in New Orleans. That, that's why Hurricane Katrina was so bad. Um, Hurricane Ida is different because the levees uh, held up pretty well, um, held up really well. Um, Hurricane Ida is really more about the wind um, and the huge number of uh, power lines uh, that have been damaged and, and, and thrown down. Um, some numbers to get to try to get a sense for how uh, how bad the electrical grid was damaged. Um, Hurricane Ida took down more than 2,000 miles uh, of uh, transmission lines owned by Entergy Corp, which is the big utility in the region. Entergy also said the the storm um, in Louisiana and Mississippi uh, damaged or destroyed uh, close to 2,500 uh, power poles, 550 transformers, and almost 3,000 spans of wire. Um, so that's just a huge amount of electrical infrastructure that's been that's had trees tossed into it or that's been flooded with water and shorted out. Um, that all has to be, you know, walked walked by electrical workers, assessed by electrical workers, and then eventually fixed. Yeah, and we'll get to the, you know, sort of painstaking work uh, of doing that in a second. But, um, you know, first, I wanted to ask you about the preparations. You know, is there actually anything that a company like Entergy or any electric utility can do when a hurricane is coming toward them uh, to prepare uh, for this to at least mitigate some of the damage? Well, having a good levee system, which New Orleans does now apparently, um, is a big thing because having um, you know passable roads and having the you know the majority of your homes not flooded um, makes the repair process a lot better. But as far as the actual power lines, the technology we have for transporting you know for transporting power you know from a power plant to your house and your air conditioner and your iPhone. Um, we mostly string those up in the air. You know, the power lines you notice when you drive along a road, bearing power lines is a good defense against high winds and falling trees, uh, but it's really expensive. You know, as one of my colleagues has been uh, reporting, it costs about six times as much as having the power lines uh, strung between poles. Um, and also bearing power lines is not a very good fit for uh, the topography in the Gulf Coast. Um, you know, if you have so much of the region is below sea level. Um, utilities don't like it if their power lines get flooded. Entergy's uh, head of utility operations um, told my colleague, Will Wade, we learned in grade school that electricity and water don't mix. And he said that New Orleans is below sea level. Uh, we bury our dead above ground for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about how long it'll take to restore power to the region. Uh, you reported uh, recently, and actually this was something that surprised me, that the governor of Louisiana, John Bell Edwards, said 
it's possible that it could take a month to get power back to everyone. That seems like a long, long time. Slight clarification there. Uh, a reporter asked about a month, and then he said, we are really not satisfied with a month. So he wasn't giving that as an estimate. He was kind of responding to that idea. I but see. that said, Entergy has said um, it could take weeks um, to restore power to certain areas, especially certain hard hit or remote remote areas. And when you start talking about weeks, um, a month isn't that far off. So yes, there certainly are going to be a lot of people that are going to be um, – you know, without power for a long period of time. Um, now, there was some power restored to uh, a relatively small part of uh, New Orleans last night, Tuesday night, um, but there's still a lot of people without power, and um, it's very difficult to restore power. Some electrical workers I've talked to talked about um, in past hurricanes, sometimes, you know, it would take a whole day to, um, you know, clear the trees and restore power to just one remote home. You know, if, if a remote home has power lines, you know, running through the trees to get to it, um, you know, and they have to use swamp buggies or, you know, dig holes by hand in order to redig a hole in the middle of the woods uh, that can take a whole day. And then it's just one house gets its power back. Um, so it's a, uh, it's, it's a pretty difficult task. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that maybe in some parts of the country, let's say New England or something, you know, the, the leaves are getting ready to change, but uh, in New Orleans, it is still very much summer. Um, you know, it is hot there and being without power at a time like this is, is seems pretty uncomfortable, if not outright dangerous. Yes, definitely. The, gov the governor said yesterday that he's, he's worried, um, and he said that the response on the recovery can actually be more dangerous than the, uh, than the storm itself. You know, he's talked about people, um, you know, driving, trying to drive through floodwaters. People are on their roofs uh, trying to clear debris. People are using power equipment they're not used to. Um, generators can be dangerous if people try to use them indoors. Um, People don't have power for air conditioning or to run their medical devices. Uh, he says he expects the death toll to grow uh, and that it's a big concern of his. Um, so, yes, definitely not having power is uh, not just uncomfortable, but can also be dangerous. And let's talk about what it actually takes to restore power. You had a really interesting interview with um, an official at the Electrical Workers Union uh, down there. And it sounds like this is a pretty manual labor type of process. There's not really a way to automate this. It just, it's, it sounds like very, very painstaking, right? Yes, it, it can be, you know, you have to walk the system pole by pole to check all of it. And turning back, turning power back on uh, can be a house by house process because you don't turn power back onto a house if that house is flooded or if that house, uh, if that house has trees leaning into it. So it can be, uh, it, it can be a very slow and painstaking process. Um, you also have to bring in all your new equipment. You know, if you have four poles down on a specific line, uh, you have to bring four poles with you uh, to replace those. Uh, head of utility for the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the union that represents those workers, you know, he said, you know, it's really difficult, especially when you're talking about setting those poles up when the floodwaters are still up. Yeah, yeah. And finally, let's talk about uh, the longer term here. As you just mentioned, burying power lines maybe not really an option in this part of the country. Is there any discussion, though, of ways to make the power grid in the Gulf Coast more resilient or at least, um, you know, better able to withstand sort of more powerful hurricanes, which, you know, as we all know, I think are an inevitability in a, a world with uh, climate change? Right now, the focus is just on recovery and trying to get power 
uh, to the people who need it. But I would say that definitely in the weeks uh, and months to come, there will be a lot of discussion about um, how we can prepare uh, the electrical grid for, uh, for coming storms. Um, and the same way that after Katrina, so much money, you know, over $14 billion was put into making the levee system better, um, it could be that after this storm, uh, resources are devoted to hardening uh, the electrical grid. Yeah, and I guess uh, to leave, you know, end on an optimistic note, it sounds like that was money well spent, uh, the money that went into the levees, because uh, this seems like, uh, you know, all the, the headlines I'm seeing are that this was its first major test since Katrina, and it passed that test. Yeah, I would I, I would agree. A Louisiana State University professor, uh, an expert in civil engineering who I interviewed, said that the levy system in his book did great. He would give it a an A grade, um, but he also said the electrical system would get a much, much lower mark uh, for its uh, performance. That was Josh Saul, a Bloomberg News reporter, and before that you heard Bloomberg News' Kevin Crowley. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use a pretty easy-to-remember handle. It's at Environment. Just that, at Environment. And I, of course, am at David B. Schultz. That's B as in billion. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Rebecca Baker and Chuck McCutcheon. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.